0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit TrinityChurchLondon.com. Last week, if you were here, Daniel started to lay some foundations um, in the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, this isn't just the next Passage in Corinthians. Uh, this is actually uh, something, a topic that we have been praying into for some time. You see, I think sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts, they can kind of be these things that you know other people do, or that sometimes we get to experience when we're at a conference or you know whatever it might be. But actually, we believe that if you read Scripture, it's very clear that the, the spiritual gifts are part of walking in the fullness of what God has us, both as individuals, but more importantly, as a church. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to um, look at this passage in two different ways. One, in terms of understanding what are spiritual gifts. When we talk about these things, what do they even mean? How do I know what my spiritual gifts are? And then secondly, I want us to think about how we might see these gifts released Amongst us, because I think actually in this passage is potentially the key to unlocking something um, that we've been praying for for some time. And I have to be honest with you: um, when we started praying for this uh, a little while ago, um, I'm not, and I can I kind of look back on this now, and I, I realise I'm not sure I had the faith at the time to see the kind of charismatic move in a way that I've experienced in places like South Africa when I've been there on a conference like earlier in the year. Um, like, you know, we've all been to those kind of Christian events, right? Or even when we gather together as a church once a year, we kind of go off-site, right? We expect more for some strange reason. And recently, uh, Daniel and Charles went off to Cyprus, another global conference. There's a few of those. You'll, you'll be getting a, a, a trend tapping here. Um, and when Daniel came back, he started sharing on our WhatsApp group some of the things that various different people had spoken to him about. Prophecies, words of encouragement, words for the church, for us to weigh and pray to, and in that moment I felt like a pang of jealousy, I was like, ah, if only I was there, I feel like I'm missing out on what God has for us. And then I felt God kind of go, do you not think I'm the same God there on a Sunday morning in Trinity Church London, that is there in Cyprus? In that event does it really take these big holy men and women of god for me to speak to you for me to pour my blessings out on you and i felt really challenged in that moment and as i've been sort of uh given this passage probably now early um i've been kind of really challenged by it and the more i've kind of dived into it the more i think this is quite a pivotal moment for us so uh hopefully i'll do this justice um but as I said, I'll look at it twice, first to understand spiritual gifts and then hopefully to understand how we can potentially release them, or see them released amongst us. So we're going to look at the passage in three chunks. Okay, The first chunk, verses 4, 5 and 6. And we're going to look at the nature of gifts. Because this world is incredibly good at dumbing everything down to one thing. You know, When we think of Bill Gates, we think Microsoft. right? When we think about I don't know, J.K. Rowling, whatever you say, no? we think about Harry Potter we think about Morgan Freeman, we think about the voice. But we are, right? We are very good at reducing things down to... Is that good? Thanks. There um, was no American accent there at all, but still, is, uh, I thought it was right. Um, <laughs> we, we're very good at reducing things down to one thing. And actually, in verse 4 it says, Now there are varieties of gifts. Plural. Plural of plural. Right? There are varieties of gifts. And yet, when we think about teaching gifts or prophetic gifts or gifts of mercy or gifts of this and gifts of that and gifts of the other, we do the same thing that we do to famous people or to each other. We kind of simplify it down to one thing. And actually, what the passage here is saying is that gifts don't come in isolation. We have clusters of gifts. Right? Does that make sense? We've got a cluster of gifts. So for example, um, if I was to talk about a teaching gift, right? a teaching gift mixed with a teaching gift... And leadership might look very, very different from a teaching gift mixed with mercy, for example, right? So one might sound very, kind of, I guess, um, authoritative and potentially inspiring. The other might be a bit more gentle, a bit more kind, a bit more loving. Very different type of expression of the same gift because of the other gifts that surround it. Okay, so there's clusters of gifts. And each of our gifts, and we do all have gifts. Who, who doesn't believe they have gifts? Who's brave enough to put the hand up? Good, I'm glad, I'm glad not even said that. Because it says it. God who empowers them all in everyone. So all of us have gifts. All of us do. We might not know what they are yet, but all of us have gifts. So our gifts are shaped and formed and melded by the other gifts that God has given us. I think this is often why we can doubt our gifts sometimes. Because in the same way that we reduce things down to a certain way of doing things or a certain thing, we can do the same with a spiritual gift. Right? When we think about, for example, the gift of evangelism. Just quickly in your head, when I say evangelism, what comes to your mind? Is it someone standing on the street corner preaching the gospel? Right, well that's an evangelism gift mixed with a preaching and a teaching gift. Maybe an exhortation gift. But what about a gift of evangelism mixed with a gift of hospitality? What might Actually, this is Claire's not here, she's in the other room with uh, our daughter. But I have to say, Claire has got an amazing gift for evangelism. I've never actually told her that. Claire, you've got an amazing gift for evangelism. <laughs> but she does it over dinner in the intimacy of friendship. You never see her standing on the street corner preaching because that's not how her gift of evangelism plays out. Right? So we need to be careful that when we think about spiritual gifts, we don't automatically kind of place a picture on that gift that isn't there. That's a worldly view of a gift. It's very one-dimensional. Gifts are not one-dimensional at all. They're from God. They're never going to be simple, right? They're going to be amazing. And we need to understand the fullness of what God has for us. Verse five, there are varieties of service. And what does that mean? It basically means there's specific areas of service that our gifts might play out. So, for example, we're all very familiar with Daniel. Daniel has an incredible teaching gift. Right, it's not really a surprise to say that. But his teaching gift is, you know, for church. It's for conferences. Right, I doubt. I, I don't know. Maybe he would, but I'm not sure if he'd make a good teacher. I'm not sure if he'd be good at teaching to children. Right? because there are different avenues that our gifts can play out. So just again, because you might not see yourself as standing at the front, perhaps teaching. If when you speak to people, they are learning something, then guess what? You have a teaching gift. It's just expressed in a very different way, one-on-one, small intimate groups. It could be large conferences, it could be schools, it doesn't really matter. We need to start getting out of this idea that every gift is one-dimensional. Does that make sense? It also means we shouldn't dismiss others. If someone comes up to you and says, I'm not sure, but I think I might have a gift for this, that or the other. Don't allow your brain to kind of default to what the world assumes that gift means. Ask them why they think they've got it. Ask them how it might play out to them. Ask them to describe it. Explain it. Encourage them in it. Encourage them in exploring their gifts. And then finally in this section, verse 6, and there are varieties of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Much it's almost similar to the second point, but actually Tim Keller draws this out quite well. He, he kind of talks about our environments and how our environments can end up shaping our gifts. And sometimes we can kind of get a little bit frustrated with church, let's be honest, um, because we're not necessarily seeing something that matters to us, a passion, something that we care about, something that perhaps we've got a gift in it, not being pursued by the sort of corporate church body. But well, we also need to recognize that we need to sometimes step out of that environment to allow our gifts to flourish. Right? We can't just contain ourselves to a box and then kind of wonder why this frustration this gift we have inside of us isn't quite coming out yet. Use your gift in different venues. To so kind talks about potency. Potency of gifts. It says in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, there's there's a, a, a different potency that each of us will have in a gift, right? I could never be a teacher. Peace be a teacher? I could never, never be a teacher. In fact, I don't even think my my gift is teaching. I think it's probably more preaching, if there is anything. Um, but I think this means two things for us, very specifically, and I really, really, really want you to hear this, okay? The first is that your combination of gifts is utterly unique. Okay, your combination of gifts, your cluster, whatever that looks like is utterly, utterly unique. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called Gallup StrengthsFinder. I'm a big fan of it. I've used it for years with my teams. It's just a way of kind of exploring your natural talents, I guess, things that excite you at work. Um, Now, there are 34 talents within Gallup StrengthsFinder. Okay, 34 and they often bang on about the top 5 because the top 5 are the ones that are the most important ones are the ones that shape you and all that kind of stuff the probability of having the same top 5 in the same order as anyone else is 1 in 33 million the chance of having the same 34 themes in the same order is basically non-existent. ok you are as unique as a fingerprint you are as unique as a snowflake Okay, your gifts, the gifts that God has given you are utterly, utterly unique. Now, if that's true, we need to ask ourselves why? And I think the answer is very simply this. God has given you a very specific gift to be able to encourage someone, speak to someone, intercede on someone's behalf, do something that no one else in the entire world can do in the same way. That one conversation do you have with that random person on the bus that only you can do in the way that they need to hear because God has given you a very unique set of gifts that only you can use and, and, and allow to flourish. So this this is a bit should be a bit of a wake up call for us as well, that we can't we can't kind of shirk our responsibility and kinda of go, well Daniel's got a great teaching gift I'm just not going I'm not gonna step into that. Because the way that your teaching gift or your gift of mercy or your gift of prophecy or your gift of whatever it might be will play out, will be incredibly different to the people you see around you. But God has made you that way. He's made you that way intentionally. So that's the nature of gifts. That's the nature of gifts. What about the purpose of gifts? Well, I think I think we all kind of know the purpose of gifts. Right? This is one that's kind of drummed into us quite a lot. The purpose of gifts is for each other, right? It's for the edification of the church, it's for building up, it's for encouraging. We kind of know the answer to that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, right? It is for the common good. And actually, interesting, the, the Greek view, I don't even know why we translate it by like this, but the original Greek actually means for someone's benefit. So when it says common good, it's basically for someone's benefit. It's not for our own benefit. It's not. Now I'm not going to stand up here and prophesy because you know it's all about I want to be heard. I've, I've got a prophecy. It's if we ever, when we stand up to prophecy. It's about each and every one of us here. It's to encourage one another. But if we go a little bit beyond 1 Corinthians 12, we can start to get a bit of a better picture of the purpose of spiritual gifts. So a little bit later on in Corinthians, and I won't dwell on it too much because I'm it for someone else. Um, 1 Corinthians 14 12 says, "Since you are eager for the for manifestations of the Spirit." Strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. So spiritual gifts are for the common good to build up, or edify is the other way of saying that, the church. There's also a second reason that Ephesians 4.12 calls out. And it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not just about encouraging one another, building each other up. It's actually to equip each other so that we're all better at doing what? Spreading the good news of the gospel. Okay, Spreading the good news of the gospel. And then you can almost summarize all of this in 1 Peter 4.10, which says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's good stewards of very grace whoever serves as one who serves for the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Okay, So basically, to sum it up, you've got edification, you've got strengthening, you've got causing the church to prosper so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but what strikes me about that is the stark contrast between talent and what the world kind of refers to as talent, and God-given spiritual gifts. You know, the, the world tells us to work on our own strengths, to use our gifts to edify ourselves, and actually we're told here we need to use our gifts to edify others. The world tells us to exercise our gifts, you know, become you know, 10,000 hours, put in the work, you'll become a, you know, a brilliant person, you can prosper. But we're told here to exercise gifts so that others might prosper. We're told by the world to use our gifts to gain glory and recognition. And actually, we're told here in the scripture to recognize the gifts are from God and they are for His glory. It's the purpose of gifts. And then of course we get onto the variety of gifts, and there are a lot, I mean there's the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, another gifts of healing by the same spirit, another working of miracles, or another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to other various kinds of tongues, to another... There's a lot of gifts, and this isn't even exhaustive. You know, a lot of theologians believe that there are as many gifts as there are needs. Which kind of makes sense. Which means, actually, the Bible doesn't even contain all the gifts that exist. It's just, you know, Paul's way of saying that these are the things that are important. But wherever you fall on that, it doesn't really matter. The point is there's a huge, huge variety of gifts. Now, of course, it does beg the question, because we know as well that we're supposed to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy. But how do we firstly identify our gifts? Now, if they're in these clusters and they're all kind of Formed and melded over time by the other gifts that we have, how do we even recognize them to start with? How do we know which ones to pray for, which ones to pursue? Do we just pray for more and hope we get something? Do we just kind of wait for that light bulb moment of, you know, oh, I need to know how do we speak in tongues, blah, 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 speak in tongues. So, what, how, how do we do this? You know, practically, how do we do this? It's a really difficult question to answer. Well, first thing we need to understand that there is a huge difference between natural gifts. spiritual gifts. There is a huge huge distinction. At work I'm an activator by nature. I get things moving. I don't necessarily finish them, but I do get things moving um, and I'm pretty decisive. I can tell you that in the church context that that hasn't really translated very well. In fact, if I'm honest, it can be quite damaging. One of the things when I started to journey with Daniel and Charles and um, uh, Abdullah at the time the, the pace of, should we say, church life for me was, felt very slow. I'm very used to working in kind of agency life, consultancy life, where you know, time is money, people. Get going. Come on. You know, so when we were talking about our vision and our values, I'm like, guys, I've done this in four weeks. I need to pay me a lot of money for it. But, no, but it, took us, it took us a very long time to settle on what is actually God's vision for himself, which is to see his glory known across the nations. But that was an incredibly good thing for me to learn, that there is a significant difference between the talents that make me good at work and spiritual gifts that God produces in each and every one of us for the edification of the church and for his glory. They're markedly different. Markedly different. So we don't always, we shouldn't always just assume, that just because we're good at something in a work context or socially or whatever it might be, that that will naturally translate into spiritual gifts. Um, The other way of thinking about gifts, and I'm not going to go into this too much because otherwise I'm going to go massively over today, Um, but you can kind of look at gifts in three categories. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, go and search it. Uh, Tim Keller does a a lot of things on this um, uh, topic. Um, But he talks about prophetic, priestly, and kingly gifts, which when you think about it is no mistake because Christ is... Great high priest, um, are the, the fulfillment of the prophets and our king. So it's probably where that comes from. But things like learning, sorry, teaching, preaching, knowledge, encouraging, these are all prophetic gifts. Things like faith, service, mercy, intercession, these are priestly gifts. And then administration, government, leadership, these are kingly gifts. And what's interesting is when I looked at originally at this lift, I kind of assumed straight away that. You know, I probably fall into the kingly one, but actually, I think I'm probably more on the prophetic one, which is interesting. So I'm going to start exploring that more, asking God, what does that mean for me? How would you like to use me? How can I edify and build up the church? How can I encourage people when I come on a Sunday morning or when I come on a Wednesday evening? Ask yourself, what do you gravitate towards? What excites you? Does the idea of telling someone about Jesus excite you? But maybe not standing on a street corner, maybe doing it over lunch. Maybe doing it over a coffee. Does that excite you? Well, guess what? You've probably got a gift for evangelism. Lean into that. Start to explore it. Start to ask God for more of it. But you speak to people and they just kind of walk away like enlightened, like they suddenly understand something for the first time, guess what? You've probably got a teaching gift. Lean into it. Explore it. Go and speak to someone who teaches on a regular basis and say, I think I might have this. Can you help me work through it and encourage me in it? If when you speak to people, they walk away feeling encouraged, you probably have a prophetic gift. Maybe you haven't been exercising it in the way that you think, but if you're an encourager by nature, you probably are prophetic. And then finally, just as another example, if when you speak to people and you serve them, they feel valued. If they feel valued. If you make them feel special, you probably have a gift of service. The point is, there's lots and lots of gifts, and it's really hard sometimes to figure out well, which one, or which ones. Sorry, for pull into the trap myself. Which ones do I have? We just need to explore, push ourselves, experiment, pray, and actually, that is the the final point here: is that don't be passive about it. Don't wait. Don't sit and kind of be, you know, I don't know if you speak in tongues, but when I started speaking in tongues, I have to admit, before that moment, I was kind of just waiting in services for the gift of tongues just to land on my head. Like, it would just suddenly start, you know, speeding out these things. And that's not actually how it happened. In the end, someone prayed with me. I just started trying to say things that made no sense. And then before I knew it, I just felt the Spirit take over. And it was like, wow, I was not expecting that. But it didn't happen how I thought it would. It only happened because I happened to be at a conference. And of course, conferences are great for these things. But we should expect the same The same God here as at as conferences. Let's expect, expect the same. So ask, don't be passive, pray about it. So there were clusters of guests. Uh, there are specific areas of service there are different potencies and environments that they play out in, we all have them every single one of us, your combination is utterly unique uh, and you're given those gifts to, for very specific reasons, to do something that no one else can they are for the purpose of edifying, strengthening and causing the church to prosper so that in everything God may be glorified and we shouldn't be passive but we should manage to desire them which means just keep pressing in keep pushing into them so that's the practical side. okay? That is the practical side. That is just kind of like laying some further foundations, building on what Daniel expressed last week, um, looking at kind of what are they? What are these things called spiritual gifts? But I now want us to look at what I really believe, and I, I do feel this is prophetic. I believe God wants to release in us something. And I didn't even think he wants to do some of like that this morning. And as I've been building towards this sermon, this preach, whatever you want to call it, I really feel like there is a moment, and maybe we should respond to this um, at the end, but I think there is a moment for us just to sit and go, Lord, I want to build up and encourage those around me. I want to glorify you. I earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But I think there is a key to seeing that release, to be able to walk in the fullness that God has for us. And I believe, can we get verses 4, 5, and 6 up? I'm not sure if we can do all three at the same time. Um, But the key is actually in those first few verses. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ God the Father Paul is declaring the triune nature of God but he's talking about spiritual gifts why Why is he doing that? that seems a bit odd unless there's a reason for it unless there's a, a purpose behind that expression and I think it's very simply this I think he's trying to portray something in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we should be experiencing towards each other in the use and application of spiritual gifts in the church. So, let's explore that relationship. What is, what is it like to be part of a triumphant Godhead? Let's see what the Bible says. John 1.18 describes the Son as living from all eternity in the bosom of the Father. That's not the translation of the ESV, but it's quite a helpful one. Because it kind of literally means in the Greek, it means in love and in intimacy. Right, so for all eternity, before time began, God, sorry, Jesus uh, uh, um, has been living in the the eternal love and the eternal intimacy of his Father. Eternally, love eternally. Jesus describes the Spirit as living to glorify him in John 16, verse 14. In John 17, verse 4, it says the Son glorifies the Father and the Father the Son. It can be really quite hard to kind of grasp our heads around what that means. Now, What does it mean to glorify someone? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt it in a slightly unusual way. You'll see in a minute. And it could massively backfire. You'll just look at me blankly like, what is going on? Or it might work. Let's find out. But to glorify, literally, quite, quite literally means to praise, to enjoy, to delight in someone. Okay, To praise, to enjoy, to delight in someone. And not because they're useful to you. Not because you can get something from them, but simply because they are. Because they are beautiful. Just being in their presence is its own reward. Eternally begotten of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enjoying one another, delighting in one another, just the overflow of that abundance and joy. I just It's hard to get your head around. And the craziest thing is it has been going on for all eternity. Now if it's helpful, C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his books. And he kind of describes this endless, boundless, eternal love as being kind of like a dance. Because I don't know if you have images of God before creation. But I guess for me, I mean, actually, Daniel used the same expression before. It's like, you kind of have this kind of pulsating thing, just kind of spirit, just doing this. But actually, that's far too static. That's far too static. Right, C.S. Lewis describes it as a dance. He says, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of dance. You know, and I think we get a chance to see this in everything that's around us. When we look at the boundless tapestry of life, do we actually see, perhaps, just an inkling of that same dance? Yes, we know that the moon and the stars and everything around us serve to glorify God. But do they do more than that? Does it not make sense that they are a reflection, not just of God's glory, but of God Himself? That in His creation we get a, a pale reflection of who God is in the in the triune God, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when God breathed life into the universe, He chose to do it through His Son. All things were made through Christ Jesus. It says, "For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things." In Romans 11, and as the Father glorifies the Son through His creation, so the Son. Glorifies the Father. And while all this is going on, where's the Spirit? He's floating over the surface of the waters. They're constantly moving towards each other in eternal love. Not passively waiting for the other to come to them, but constantly moving forwards, towards, spiralling around, dancing. Why does the earth and its faithful moon continue to pirouette around each other? Why do they cause gravitational tides to kind of come in and out with almost like a, a bowing to one another? Why do the seasons perpetually unfold, one handing over to the next, who hands over to the next, never trying to stay too long for their own good, for the next person? When the rain falls, giving life, of course, to pretty much everything, Why does it then return up and form together in the clouds only to fall down again? Why is the world, why is God's creation constantly moving, constantly flowing back and forth, back and forth? Is it not a reflection of God, the Son and the Holy Spirit? It's a beautiful picture if we just looked at it. You know, the stars, when you look up at the, the, the sky, I've always... Uh, envious of those moments because they don't obviously happen very often here in London. But when you get out into the countryside, you get to see just the marvel of the universe, and you kind of look up and you kind of go, Wow, God painted that. That's for His glory. But I've never quite grasped this idea that it's more than just for His glory, just for His glory, that's not the say that, but it's more than for His glory. It's also for us to get a sense of who He, he is. Of course, it is but a power reflection. But it's still an inkling. It's still an inkling. Now here's my question to us, Trinity Churchman. <laughs> what if we started to see each other like God sees his son, like the Son sees the Father, and the Spirit sees the Son? In this eternal, lavish loving embrace never static never passive never waiting never, never standing back but constantly moving towards one another pirouetting in an eternal dance around one another looking to edify to strengthen to build up one another for the glory of god you see i don't think the first step to seeing gifts unleashed amongst us is to understand them i think it's about understanding the endless perpetual, abundant love of God in the Godhead now if you're not a Christian sorry, this has probably been a bit weird um, <laughs> but let me just end with this when Jesus died he was, as it were inviting you into this dance to experience This overflowing love that has eternally existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the great thing is, He doesn't wait for you to come to Him. He moves towards you. He chooses you. And if you accept Him, He encircles you with an infinite, self giving, gracious love. A love so profound that He was willing to give up everything to come down to earth to live the life of a man, to be humiliated, to be rejected. By his own cre- the, the, the people he created. And to die the most horrific death. So that we might be able to see him again in glory. He's inviting you into a, a beautiful relationship. And all of creation points to it. So next time you're enjoying nature. Next time you're enjoying life. Just think about that invitation. That invitation to dance.